And now to our guest of honor today. I'm, I'm sure you're not aware of this, but there's been some financial turmoil lately. You heard it here first. The fact is that what's going on in the world affects everybody, from the biggest bank uh, to the smallest mom and pop operation. And that makes it a, a great time to talk about what we call SMEs, small and medium sized enterprises in Canada. If we're worried at all about the Canadian economy, not just the current crisis, but what happens to it down the road, if we want to ensure continued prosperity so that our grandchildren live better than we do, which is in fact the bequest that our grandparents gave to us, then we do need to talk about SMEs. They account for 99% of businesses in Canada. It's often tempting to think of the entrepreneur as a go-getter who does it alone, who's self-starting, takes a business and grows, grows it, and that by definition those people are independent and outward-looking. But while many of our business leaders have exactly those traits, they are still in some cases stopping short of truly considering how we can do better. A little word about BDC, if you don't know, it's a self-supporting organization. It counsels Canadian SMEs. It does it with an international reach, and it means that it can offer uh, invaluable advice as well as contacts to its clients. It has more than 27,000 Canadian business entrepreneurs as clients, and its investments have totaled $10 billion in committed financing and venture capital. Now, given what's going on uh, in capital markets right now, you can imagine that the risks seem particularly high considering challenges like globalization. But there are a number of factors in recent years, not just what's happening now, that make it imperative for our businesses to make changes. BDC's president and CEO, uh, whom we're excited to have with us, has a wealth of experience in, uh, in the challenges that face the business sector. He's been a board member or chair of many businesses and organizations, including CCL Industries, Group Fidiatron, Gaz Metropolitain, the Institute of Corporate Directors, and the Montreal Heart Institute. He is not just experienced in business, but also in academics. So it's not just the practical, but also the theoretical. And of course, this is the beginning of Small Business Week. Uh, the theme is a world without boundaries, open to new markets, and we may make that a starting point in our conversation. Join me now, please, in welcoming Mr. Jean-René Howe, the President and CEO of the Business Development Bank of Canada. And just a reminder uh, to you all that we do want to hear your questions. I'm going to begin, though, by asking whether this is a good time or a bad time, given the turmoil, to be talking about the opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses? Well, ideally, uh, the economic environment would be better, um, but, you know, competition changes and remains there regardless of the economic uncertainty. And if you're, you know, a small, medium-sized business today, um, I think you've got to understand how the world is changing, despite the turmoil. And you've got to think about where you fit in this world that's changing. Let's, let's talk about who we're talking about, because I, I was surprised to see the, the description, the definition of an SME in Canada. They're not, these are not huge organizations for the most part. No, and it's a statistic that most people are not aware of. Uh, there are about a million businesses in Canada with employees. 97 and a half of them have less than 100 employees, and that's what's considered small. The definition of medium is between 100 and 500, 
And there's 2.2% of those businesses with employees between 100 and 500. And only 0.3% of all businesses in Canada with more than 500 employees. But the more surprising statistic is there's 89.6% of businesses with less than 20 employees. So this is quite a fragmented market that we're talking about. There are data points for the Canadian economy that are alarming, things like our productivity rate. It's not news. For years, our productivity has lagged our closest partner, America. Is that, a, is that a big company story or is that a small company story? No, I think it's a story, unfortunately, for most companies. Um, as we all know, productivity against the U.S. has been declining. Um, if you look at some of the reasons, uh, we underinvest every year per employee about $1,400 in terms of ICT, Information Communications Technology, and about $900 per employee per year and machinery and equipment. So it's not that the people are not capable, but if we don't provide them with the right set of tools, obviously productivity over the course of time, the gap just keeps growing, and the gap is now pretty substantial and not closing. Why do you think that is? Why haven't um, we done better? Well, I think for a long time uh, we had the advantage of a dollar that was relatively low, um, and I think it created an environment where there might not have been the need to invest. I think the dollar uh, being at parity, forget the temporary 85 cents, but the dollar at parity, I think hopefully um, convinced all of us that you had to look at the fundamentals and invest in productivity tools uh, and, and invest in all sorts of other things that will make us uh, more productive. I mean, one of the things that people, I suspect, don't talk about enough there's the whole area of intangibles and uh, in, in, in investing in what we define at the bank as intangible assets. That's R&D, that's process reengineering, it's improving your IT platform, inter you know, improving your, your performance measurement. All the things that will just get you to perform better and be able to track your performance. So it's not only the investment in hard stuff, but it's also the investment in all the soft stuff. Now, to be fair, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, that's a bit tough to finance. And, uh, you know, I, I gave the challenge uh, in Montreal, the Canadian Club, uh, about a year ago to all of us banking guys to get better at financing intangibles um, because we love, you know, buildings and we love hard assets. But in reality, um, as, you know, the world changes, those intangible assets are becoming very important, and we need to just get better at financing this. Of course, financing anything right now is going to be harder for many. Does that create an opportunity for companies to think of BDC where they might not have? I mean, do you, are you available capital for small businesses? We are, uh, we are definitely there uh, to help. Um, our role, as uh, some of you might know, is to be complementary, a complementary lender. Um, and that means amongst one of the many definitions of complementary that, you know, we're there in good times and bad times. Um, and so when the credit is being tightened elsewhere, um, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be happy to entertain uh, any calls. When we think of uh, globalization, it's, it's easier to imagine what a 50-person company does with that concept than a four-person company. Does globalization really matter to all sized enterprises? Uh, the answer, I guess, is yes and no. Obviously, if you're the corner retail store, 
globalization is probably not high on your mind. Um, but size doesn't matter. And I'll give you two examples. Um, and I'll probably go to the simplest one. I have a friend of mine um, who's a consultant at home. Um, she works with small firms helping usually on technology-related matters. Whenever she starts a new assignment, she wants to learn about the industry that she's about to go into. And so in the old days, she'd have to do a lot of reading and a lot of Googling and a lot of trying to understand. Now she's outsourced that to a single person in India who's quite happy to do it for $4 an hour. And so she puts out her requests, goes to bed, and the next morning uh, has a tremendous amount of information on that industry for the magnificent sum of $4 an hour. And I know for sure she doesn't charge $4 an hour for her services. Um, so, so that's, to me, globalization at the most human level you can think of. Um, and maybe a different set of examples. You know, we finance and venture capital, or we invest in a lot of young technology companies. These people are born with a global mind. I mean, they're young. They, they, if they're in telecom, they immediately think of Nokia. You know, in Europe, they think of Samsung. In Korea, they think about China Mobile, China Telecom. They're born with a global mindset. Um, so unfortunately, there's not enough of that going on. And I guess that's one of the things that hopefully we, you know, raise the awareness on. There really was a... Um a call to arms when our, when our Canadian dollar hit parity. There are many, many industries in Canada, from the resource to the, to the high-end industries, that suddenly found their profit margins sliced away. Did we take advantage, first of all, did we take advantage of the, our purchasing power, do you think, to make some of those investments in plant and equipment and intangibles? Well, some people did very well and reacted very quickly. I mean, we, have, we all know of great examples of companies that really... Uh, kind of gave a lot of thought to their new business model, you know, chose to outsource some of their production to, to some of those countries where wages were cheaper, um, and, and managed to turn around the business model so that despite the high dollar, they were very profitable. Um, others, unfortunately, seemed to think that this would pass, and unfortunately, it probably won't. So those are the people that I need, need to gain some perspective on what's happening. Um, and, and one of the things we've been pushing recently is the use of advisory boards. Um, if our SMEs could get good advisors around themselves and people not, with all due respect, not their local uh, lawyer or accountant, but truly entrepreneurs that have built bigger businesses or retired executives from large firms that really understand, you know, the bigger picture, I think some of them, you know, would be much better for it because they'd have suddenly a different perspective on things. And then, because my view is entrepreneurs make the right call if they have the right information. It's the question of having the right information and bringing advisory boards, having advisory boards usually brings at times perspective. Part two of the question on the dollar would be, we've seen it now uh, back off parity. We're back in the high, mid-high 80s. Will that force some companies who might have been thinking of stepping up and responding to say, well, it's back to business as usual. My profit margins are back. I'm competitive again. I, I would hope they don't go that way. Um, the dollar is, uh, is lower than it was. Um, but I think we all recognize that the Canadian dollar is very much related to the price of oil. 
Uh, the price of oil might well go back up at some point. So will the Canadian dollar. And so I, as an entrepreneur, I would work with a mindset that the dollar is at parity. If in the process it allows you to export and gain a bit better margin, go for it. But mentally, don't lull yourself into thinking that Canadian dollar will stay at 85 cents. I mean, work with a dollar at parity. It's, it's been tempting for Canadians uh, to look uh, merely south when they think of expanding of globalization of international markets. What are the markets that we should be looking at? Obviously, it depends by industry, um, but I think you're right. We, we have been taking the easy road. The largest client is just next door. Um, but I think it's probably not a bad time, given the potential slowdown that we all read about in the U.S., um, to start looking at other markets, uh, whether that's Europe, depending on the product category you're in, or even Asia in some cases. So um, this is not a bad time uh, to look at you know, new, um, new opportunities. And if I can make a 10-second commercial, uh, you know, we are going to be launching this week a new loan called Expansion Loan. Just for those people, those small SMEs that actually just want to go and investigate new markets. We don't want them to use their working capital because that's what you've got to protect at all costs is your working capital. But what you want to do, though, is take a bit of time to go and investigate. And, and you know, it's an unsecured loan. It's, it's a repayable over God knows how many years. So, I mean, it's really trying to provide people with the opportunity to, um, you know, explore new markets. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is actually a point worth reiterating um, because this is money that can be used uh, any way an SME wants, yes. um, unsecured. Provided it's to investigate, you know, how you could change things around, go to new markets. It's an expansion law. And how big is the pool of capital that you're willing to put behind this concept? We're happy to help whoever knocks on the door. Okay. That's, he said that to me earlier, and I wanted him to say it again. There's an unlimited pool of capital. <laughs> and Jim Flaherty says no deficit. Uh, well, no, hey, well, well, we'll stop you right there. We price for risk, so there is an interest rate, and we expect right. to be repaid. And the bank every year um, you know, is profitable, because the one thing we've learned to do is, is price for risk appropriately. Um, so this is not a subsidy. This is a loan. Just... just Clarifying here. But, no, good clarification. But I mean, the, the point would be, this is brand new. So we want to get the word out. Yeah. Um, so pass it on. There's money to be had here. What is the best way to use $50,000? Who's, who's in the best position? I mean, I guess when I think about that, should you be proved uh, domestically? Should you, should you already be an established player domestically before you take that money and explore China or Brazil? Or can you still be pretty nascent here? and make that exploration? Yeah, I think we will want you to have some experience, obviously, um, and be in business a little I while. I can't have any money. <laughs> well, no. we'll, we'll talk separately. <laughs> um, but the concept, though, is that, you know, we're looking for people who really mentally get the fact that they might or should look outside. One of the things we've noticed is People that have got international experience, whether because they were posted overseas, whether it's because they come from a different country, now live in Canada, those people are so much more prone to doing business internationally. I mean, not surprisingly. Um, age does not matter. 
um, young entrepreneurs um, really think globally. Our kids think much more globally. So there's no set, like, there's no recipe, um, but, but clearly the ones that have ex international experience do much more international business than, than others. This is a, probably an overly complex uh, question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, and we should say that there, BDC has just con conducted an extensive survey, and there's a synopsis form of that available for you to take away with you at the door uh, if you want more information on sort of the, their own survey findings. But for an SME that thinks of the globe, does it make sense to think of the opportunities for cost savings in your supply chain? Does it make sense first to think of the globe as a bigger marketplace? Does it, does it vary as many times as there are companies? Uh, it probably varies, but there are things in common. The first thing you want to do is get your, I guess, your, your internal shop in good order. And so that is all about raising productivity, investing in intangibles, you know, getting your intellectual property right. I mean, whatever the business you're in. I mean, fix your own shop first. And then internationally, um, I think you want to see what's the best way to grow. And, and one of them is joining a global value chain. About a third of those that we survey that actually work internationally are part of a global value chain, meaning you're selling to a multinational, and that multinational will use your product and carry you along in some of the other countries where you know they are. Um, and, and we're not doing enough of that. Um, about two weeks ago, I was with the CEO of one of our large Canadian uh, manufacturing organization. The fellow was telling me they've got 3,000 suppliers, and he says 3,000 suppliers is just unmanageable. We've got to get it down to 1,000. And I said, well, what can we do to help you know, small suppliers? Because we're talking small suppliers. And he says, you've got to convince them to be proactive about doing the consolidating because if they're not the ones doing the consolidating, they'll be the consolidated. Um, and so, you know, one of the, I think one of the things we need to think about um, is just the fact that the world is changing. And, and again, it's all about perspective and, and realizing that that large Canadian company is determined to take away 2,000 suppliers. And so might as well be on the path to be the consolidator than, than not. So, you deal directly with uh, entrepreneurs, owner operators. How much of a challenge is it? I mean, when you talk about things like investing in intangibles, there's an opportunity cost in not making that investment. There is. But there's a real bottom line cost in making the decision. And that must be a tough moment for somebody who lives on thin margins. It is. And, and I guess, you know, our approach is what happens if you don't do it? Um, you know, it, sure, you can probably buy time, save a bit of cash uh, for a few months or six months or a year. But if you don't do the right things for the long term, you're just not going to be around anyway. So you might as well do it. In terms of uh, how much help SMEs get relative to other places, what you do relative to what small businesses would get help in Germany or America, do you know the comparison? Um, it's, it's difficult because every country, because we, we, we did try to benchmark that, it, it's quite difficult because most countries do things for their SMEs, and so we're not the only country that's, that's trying to do this. Every country does it differently. Um, Canada has a nice suite of 
um, basically organizations to help. You know, there's EDC if you want to go international. Uh, you know, EDC will be very supportive of you. Uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs National Trade will open a lot of doors for you. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, uh, good places to go to just to get help. When we think of some of the risks now of making, taking some of these steps, let's talk about foreign suppliers. We have in the last 24 months seen an avalanche of data points of the risk of foreign suppliers from lead in the paint to uh, melamine in the candy. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that as a relatively small enterprise? Um. I guess what you want to make sure of is that you've got partners um, in wherever you want to outsource from uh, that you can trust. And that's probably one of the things that is the most difficult for an SME to, to identify. Um, you know, larger firms have the ability to send whole teams and do tons of due diligence. Um, smaller firms have a hard time. And this is why being part of a global supply chain, as I was talking about earlier, is a much safer way because they will help you kind of check things and they'll have contacts and so on. So um, it, it's an issue. It's an issue. It's, it's, it's all about the quality of, the, of your relationship out there and the partner. We've done some thinking and talking um, about hollowing out the whole question of who owns what in Canada. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but uh, in terms of how the landscape changes. I'm just curious for your thoughts. If we're successful, if you're successful, and we think of the world as the marketplace, and we really exploit it the way that we should, what does Canada look like in 20 years? We're in a, you know, we're a nation now very much oriented to trade. I suspect we'll just be that much more oriented to trade. Um, and it's the way it should be. The world is getting to be very small. I mean, the price of a container, uh, you know, around the world, shipping a container has gone down dramatically. Um, the Internet. I mean, the world is just getting to be so small that those types of boundaries, I think, will, will over the course of time, disappear. Um, and I'd rather have a competitive company that's, you know, alive because it outsources a bit of production here, it does a bit of call center there, but it does design here and whatever, however it makes sense for them. Because the alternative is they're not going to survive. Got some questions from the floor. This one may have been written um, before we talked about your new program. Okay. Uh, but it says, given the liquidity issues faced by the chartered banks, is BDC able to respond with any new initiatives or programs? This loan program has been in the works for a long time. It's yeah. not a response. No, this loan program we've been working on for quite some time, so this is not a response to financial crisis. The only thing I can say about, about the, you know, the credit tightening is we are a complementary lender. We're there in good times and bad, as I said earlier, and uh, we'll, be there to, uh, we'll be there to help. Um, just come and see us. Um, we've got a couple of questions here that are political in nature, and uh, BDC is not a political organization, so I'm going to stress that. I'm going to throw them at Jean-René anyway, because he's a tough guy. Um, <laughs> the answer might be no comment. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but this one, it says that the federal government has failed to provide any type of government funding for entrepreneurs. When will the largest employers, i.e. small business people, in the country be considered a higher priority uh, through incentivization? That's one I'm not going to touch. Um, you know, j just to, to clarify my response, um, you know, uh, BDC is an instrument of public policy. 
um, and um, we, we try to implement as best we can uh, public policy. We're not there to make public policy or comment on public policy, so I'll skip. So there's no kind of two-way, you don't take your information back to the Ministry of Industry and say, you know what they really need is X. Oh, we'll, no, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make our views known as to what we think is happening in the market. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're not the policymakers. How much can any one government change things? Does it have to change more at a grassroots level? How much can a single policy change? Well, obviously, policies in general can influence but at the end of the day, when it comes to entrepreneurs, it's the entrepreneurs that have got to make the call to change. Um, and as I said earlier, entrepreneurs are smart. Give them a good view of the alternatives. They'll make the right call. But I think in some cases, you know, the, the example I've, I've used in, in, before is, you know, to me, what you, imagine an aquarium with a bit of an open top, you know, and, and the, the entrepreneurs, you know, all due respect to them, or all the fish kind of going in the, around the aquarium. And then the Internet comes along and, you know, cheap transportation and whatever. And then suddenly what you're really doing is taking that aquarium and putting it in the ocean. And now, sure, you can leave the aquarium, but kind of pretty large fish can also come in. And I think it's that image that I'd like our entrepreneurs to get, that, you know, you're no longer just within your aquarium, within your four walls. The world has changed. And you've got to understand that there are kind of big fish out there that could come in, and you'd better figure out what you're going to do ahead of time. So, you know, policies can help, but at the end, if entrepreneurs will make the calls. Um, this one particularly dealt with something that happened in Ontario. And the only reason why I want to raise it is because uh, it, it's the new family day that was brought in um, in Ontario. And at, at the time, it highlighted for me as a business journalist the disconnect that can exist between what goes on every day out there by people who keep the economy running and, what, and the rest of us. Because I was like, woohoo, another day off. And then I interviewed a small businessman. He said, are you kidding me? I'm a national company. I've got to give my Ontario employees a day off. It's a day of lost productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there's a, I mean, do we all need a little bit of educating about this universe? I'm not going to comment on the specific. I didn't think you um, would. But I think generally there is a need for all of us, I think, to have a better view of what's happening in the world. I think that just generally speaking, and I'm not even pointing to politicians or, or anyone in particular, I, I, we've got to have a better realization of how the world is changing. I guess that, that's my main message. Because um, we've been somewhat isolated from that. You know, it's been, it's, you know, we've had, what, 17 years without a recession? I mean, we're living in great times. Maybe, maybe changing a bit. But I think we, I think that has created an environment where we don't feel the pressure as much as we should. You know, we keep talking about the fact we're less productive than our U.S. friends. But year after year, you know, the gap grows. So we've got to start taking charge. And, and, and you know, with all due respect with, to all the politicians, you know, the best people to take charge of that is every entrepreneur doing something in his own business to get better. Let's end with this, because you're the one that raised the R word. Yes. We are facing a slowdown. Everybody agrees. How big it is, how long it is, less agreement. Is now the time? Because now I can hear the SMEs in the room saying, well, why would I invest? Why would I take a chance? Why would I make, take risks when I should be battening down the hatches? 
because um, if you're, it, it, what you've got to understand if you're an SME is not only what's happening to your client, but you want to understand what's happening to your client's client and his client and, you know, the chain. And because you'll ultimately get affected. Um, and so, depending on your size, depending on your situation, um, my view is if you have the balance sheet that can, that can stand a bit of, you know, using a bit of working capital or, or you know, doing a bit, a bit of extra borrowing for, for term lending, um, start looking at alternatives. Because if our biggest client down south starts to slow down, it might be nice to have a few alternatives. So I think despite the fact that things are slowing down, um, I think you want to spend a bit of effort looking elsewhere. And at the end of the day, you know, the R word or the slow down at some point will be over and you'll be so much better for it afterwards. So I, I, think, I think it's a win. Now, every circumstance is different. Not, it's not right for all companies. But I would not automatically dismiss it. I would really look into whether or not that makes sense for me if I was an entrepreneur. And um, let's really end on uh, an optimistic note. You've got, you, you touch, BDC touches so many of these people who do this important work. Do you feel optimistic? Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, we, we, I say to our account managers, if you're having a bad day, go see some clients. I mean, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are the most exciting people to be with because they got projects. They want to do things. They want to conquer the world. They want to conquer Canada, whatever. And so, yeah, I'm very optimistic. I'm actually very optimistic. All right. On that note, we appreciate your time today, Jean-René. Pleasure. Thank you. Man. Thank you. And I'm going to invite uh, Mr. Howard Brown to come to the stage, please. Thank you, Mr. Hall. Thank you, Amanda. I've been asked to uh, do the thank you today, and uh, the two of you make quite a good team, I must tell you. Um, I want to thank each of you for joining us today for this fascinating and important discussion kicking off Small Business Week. Clearly, in the BDC's 64-year history, and with 27,000 clients, Mr. Hall, you're clearly, you and your team, making an impact on the Canadian marketplace. You've shown us that in a world without boundaries, Canadian entrepreneurs can survive and thrive. When we reflect on the world's current economic challenges, which you mentioned, you have helped us to realize the march of progress does go on, unstopped by financial crises or wars or natural disasters. The adventurous spirit that is the entrepreneur has always led the way forward. And one of those entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, once said, business opportunities are like buses. There are always another one coming. Mr. Hall, thank you for sharing with us your thoughts and experience. Appreciate you spending the time with us today, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. I'd like to turn the meeting back to Amanda. Thank you, Howard. I'm just belatedly noticing that there's a, a thing I could have stood on. I'll do that next time. That concludes our meeting. I want to thank all of you for being here, um, and thank you for participating, and we hope to see you sometime in the near future at the Canadian Club of Toronto. Have a great day.